0: So here is, I remember you by Arsha Shugardotir, Part 1, Chapter 1, I hope you are going to like it. So let's get started. Chapter 1. Yeah. The waves rolled the boat to and fro in a constantly changing rhythm. The probe bobbed gently up and down as sharper movement shook the vessel, rocking it fiercely from side to side. The skipper struggled to fasten the little boat to a narrow steel post, but the weathered floating dog kept retreating as if it were part of a game. He patiently repeated the same movements over and over, pulling the freight rope in the direction of the post, but each time the coerce loop was about to fall into place, it seemed to be yanked away. It was as though the sea were playing with them, showing them who was in charge. In the end, the man managed to secure the boat, but it was unclear whether the waves had grown bored of teasing him, or whether the captain's experience and patience had got the better of them. He turned to the three passengers, his expression serious, and said, There you go, but be careful stepping up. Then he jerked his chin at the boxes, bags, and other things that they had brought with them. I will help you move this off the boat, but I cannot help you take it to the house, unfortunately. He squinted at the surface of the sea. It looks like I had better get back as quick as I can. You will have time to short all this stuff out once I am gone. There should be a wheelbarrow around here somewhere. No problem. Gardar smiled faintly at the man, but made no move to start unloading the boat. He shuffled his feet and exhaled loudly, then turned his cage inland where several houses were visible above the line of the beach. Further away, several roofs glinted. Although it was early afternoon, the faint winter light was fading quickly. It would not be long before it was completely dark. This place is not exactly buzzing with life, he said with fast cheer. Well, no. Were you expecting it to? The skipper did not hide his surprise. I thought you had been here before. You might want to reconsider your plan? You are welcome to come back with me, free of charge of course." Gardar shook his head, studiously avoiding looking at Catherine who was trying to make eye contact with him so she could note or indicate in some other way that she really did not mind going back. She had never been as excited as him about this adventure, so neither had she opposed it outright. Instead, she had gone along with it, letting herself be carried along by his enthusiasm and his certainty that it would all go according to plan. But now that he seems to be wavering, her own confidence in it had ebbed away. Suddenly, she felt quite sure that total failure was the best they could hope for but choose not to imagine the worst-case scenario. She glanced at Liv, who was supporting herself on the gunwale, trying to regain the balance she had left behind on the pier in response on there After battling seasickness for most of the voyage, Liv looked utterly wretched, bearing only a passing resemblance to the perky women who had been so keen to come with them that she had ignored Catherine's words of caution. Even Gardar did not seem himself, as they had dragged closer to shore, the bravado he had shown as they prepared for the trip had faded. Of course, Catherine could hardly talk. She was sitting on a sack of firewood, totally refusing to stand up. The only difference between her and the other two was that she had never been looking forward to the trip. The only passenger who seemed excited to disembark was Putty, Liv's little dog who, in defense of all their assumptions to the contrary, had turned out to have excellent sea legs. Apart from the lapping of the waves, the silence was absolute. How had she ever imagined this could work? The three of them all alone in the dead of winter in a deserted village, way up north in the middle of Nowhere, without electricity or heat and the only way back by sea. If something happened, they had no way to rely on but themselves, and now that Catherine was facing the facts, she admitted to herself that their resourcefulness was decidedly limited. None of them was particularly outdoorsy, and almost any other task you could name would suit them better than renovating old houses. She opened her mouth to make the decision for them and accept the captains over, but then shut it without saying a word, shying quietly to herself. The moment had passed, there was no going back, and it was far too late to protest now. She had no one to blame but herself for getting involved in this nonsense because she had let numerous opportunities to raise objections or change direction go by. At any point since the house project had first been raised, she could have suggested that they decline the offer to buy a share in it for example or that the renovations could wait until summer when there was a regular ferry schedule. Catherine suddenly felt a cold breeze and pulled the zip of her jacket higher. This whole thing was ridiculous. But what if it was not really her passivity that was to blame, but the eagerness of Inar, now deceased, who had been Gardar's best friend and Liv's husband. It was hard to be angry with him now when he was six feet under. Nonetheless, it seemed clear to Catherine that he bore the greatest responsibility for this absurd situation. Inar had hiked in Horsatandir two summers ago and so was familiar with history where the house was located. He had spun them the story of a village at the end of the world, beauty and peace and endless hiking trails in an unforgettable setting. Kardar had been inspired, not by the lure of nature, but by the fact that Inar had not been able to rent a room in history since the only guest house there had been full. Catherine could not remember which of them had gone on to suggest they see if any of the other houses there were for sale and transform one into a guest house, but it did not matter. Once the idea had been noted, there was no going back. Kardar had been unemployed for eight months and he was completely gripped by the idea of finally doing something useful. It was hardly going to dampen his interest when Inar expressed a keen desire to take part, offering to contribute both labor and capital. Then, Liv had stoked the fire with extravagant praise for the brilliance of the idea and characteristically effusive encouragement. Catherine remembered now how much Liv's eagerness had got on her nerves. She had suspected it was partially motivated by the prospect of time apart from her husband, as the renovations would require him to spend long periods of time up north. At that time, their marriage had appeared to be falling apart, but when Inar died, Liv's grief had seemed bottomless and ugly thought still in Catherine's mind. It would have been better if Inar had died before the purchase of the house had been completed. But unfortunately that was not how it had happened. Now they were stuck with the property and only one man excited about the renovation project where there had been two. The fact that Liv was so keen to take on her husband's role and press on with the repairs probably had something to do with the grieving process. She had neither skill nor interest in that kind of work. That much was certain. If she had wanted to pull out, the house would have gone back on the market and they had probably be sitting at home watching TV now in the comforting arms of the city where night was never as black as here in history. When it became clear that the project had, project had not died with Inar, Liv and Gardar had gone west one weekend and sailed from Isna Fonjidur to his to take a look at the house. It had certainly been in poor condition but that did nothing to diminish Gardar and Liv's excitement. They returned with a pile of photographs of every nook and cranny of the house, and Gardar went straight to work planning what needed to be done before the start of the tourist season. Sorry, season. From the photos, Catherine would have said that the house was held together by its paint, despite Gardar's insistence that the previous owner had carried out all the major repairs needed. For her part, Leif added florid descriptions of history's incredible natural beauty. Before long, Gardar was making in-depth calculations, raising the price of an overnight stay and increasing the number of guests that could fit into the little two-story house every time he opened his Excel spreadsheet. At least it would be interesting to see the place with her own eyes and work out how exactly Gardar intended to accommodate all these people. Catherine got to her feet but could not see the house from where she stood on deck. From one of the panoramic shots that Gardar had taken of the area, it had looked as if it was located at the edge of the settlement, but rather high up so it should be visible. But if it had simply collapsed after Gardar and Liv had been on their reconnaissance trip? Nearly two months had passed. Since then, and the area was subject to no small amount of fall weather, she was about to suggest that they verify this before the be- sorry. She was about to about to suggest that they verify this before the boat sailed away. When the skipper, doubtless starting to worry that he might have to carry them off the boat, said, "Well, at least you are lucky with the weather." He looked up at the sky. It could still change despite the forecast, so you should be prepared for anything. We are, just look at all this stuff, Gardar smiled, a trace of his previous conviction returning to his voice. I think the only thing we have to fear is pulled muscles. If you say so, the captain did not elaborate on this and instead lifted a box onto the pyre. I hope you will, you have fully charged phone. If you climb up to the top of that hill, you can get a connection. There is no point trying down here." Gardar and Catherine both looked toward the hill, which seemed more like a mountain to them. Leif was still staring back at the adding black surface of the sea. That's good to know. Gardar patted his gold pocket. Hopefully we won't have any need for them, we should be able to make it through the week. We will wait for you here at the pyre like we discussed. Bear in mind that I cannot make it out here if the weather is bad, but if that is the case I will come as soon as it clears up. If it is bit rough, obviously you don't need to stand here waiting on the pyre. I will come up to the house to get you. You cannot hang around here in the cold and wind. The man turned and looked over the fazod. Let me tell you something, Uh, Fazod meaning sea in Icelandic language, fazord. The forecast is fair, but a lot can change in a week. It does not take much to make the boat bob like a cork, so we will have to hope it is not too rough. How bad does the weather have to be to stop you from coming? Catherine tried to hide her irritation at this pro announcement. Why had not he told them this before they made arrangements with him? Maybe they would have hired a bigger boat. But as soon as a thought entered her mind, she realized that they would not, a bigger boat would have cost far more. If the waves are high on the open sea, it is not likely I would attempt it. He looked back over the facade again and nodded at the water. I won't say if they are much worse than this. Then he turned to face them. I need to get going. He went to the stack of supplies on deck and passed Gardar the mattress that was lying on top. They formed an assembly line to move the boxes, paint pots, firewood, tools and black bin bags stuffed with non-breakable items onto the floating pyre. While Catherine arranged the items along the pyre to keep the end of it free, Liv was allowed to rest. She was in a bad way. It was all she could do just to hobble onto land and lie down near the top of the beach. Putty followed her jumping about on the sand, obviously delighted to have solid ground under his feet and blind to the sorry condition of his honor. It took all Catherine's strength to keep up with the man, and sometimes they were forced to jump onto the pyre to help her. Finally the cargo stood in a long line on the dock, a kind of guard of honour for the visitors. The skipper started shuffling his feet impatiently. He seemed more eager than them to part company. His presence provided a sense of security that would disappear with his little boat over the horizon. Unlike them, he had dealt with the forces of nature before and would be prepared for whatever might befall him. Both Gardar and Catherine flirted with the idea of asking him to stay and give them a helping hand, but neither of them expressed it. Finally the man brought things to a close. Well. All you need to do now is get ashore and you are on your way. He directed his words at Gardar, who smiled half-heartedly, then clambered onto the floating pyre. He and Catherine stood there, staring down at the man with bewildered expressions. He looked away, half impressed You will be fine. I just hope your friend feels better, he nodded towards Liv, who was now sitting up. Her white jacket stood out sharply, a reflection of how poorly the new visitors fitted into these surroundings. See, the poor love seems to be feeling better already. His words failed to cheer them up, if that had been his intention, and Catherine wondered how they looked to him. A couple from Righajvik, a teacher and a graduate in business administration, Both barely over thirty, and neither of them cut out for any great physical exertion, not to mention the third wheel, who could barely lift her head. I'm sure everything will be all right, the captain repeated gruffly, but without much conviction. But you should not wait too long to get your gear up to the house. It will be dark soon. A heavy, tangled look of hair blew across Catherine's eyes. In all the rush not to forget anything on the list of necessary building materials and supply, she had forgotten to bring hair bands. Liv claimed she had only brought on one with her and had had to use it during the she crossing to keep her hair out of her face as she vomited. Catherine tried to push the hair back with her fingers but the wind immediately ruffled it again. Gardar's hair was not faring much better though it was a lot shorter than hers. Their hiking shoes looked like they had been bought specifically for this trip and although their windproof trousers and jackets were not brand new, they might just as well have been. They had been given them as wedding presents by Gardar's sibling but this was the first time they had had a chance to use them. Liv had bought her white sky suit for a skying trip to Italy and it was about as appropriate to their current environment as a bathrobe. It was also clear from their bare skin that they were not big on outdoor pursuits. At least they were all in good shape from spending hours at the gym. Although Catherine suspected that whatever strength they had managed to build up was unlikely to be sufficient for the work they had been doing here. Do you know if any other visitors are expected to come here this week? Catherine crossed her fingers behind her back. If so, there would still be hope that they could get a ride home earlier if everything went badly for them. The skipper shook his head. You don't know much about this place, right? Do you? They had not been able to talk much on the way due to the noise of the engine. No, not really. No one comes here except during the summer, since there is no real reason to be here in the dead of winter. People stay in one of the houses over the new year, and one or two house owners poke over sometimes to make sure that everything is in order, but otherwise it is empty here during the winter months. The man stopped and looked over what was visible of the settlement. Which house was it you bought? The one furthest back. I think it must have been the priest's residence. Gardar's voice betrayed a hint of pride. You actually cannot see it from here in the dark, but otherwise it is quite prominent. What? Are you sure? The skipper looked surprised. No priest lived in this village. When there was still a church here, it was served from Adalvik. I think you must have been given the wrong information. Gardar hesitated and various thoughts crossed Katrine's mind, among them the hopeful notion that this was all a misunderstanding, there was no house and they could turn right around and go home. No, I have had a look at it and it clearly used to be a priest house, at least there is a rather nice cross carved onto the front door. The skipper seemed to have trouble believing Gardar, who else owns the house with you? His brow had furrowed slightly, it was as if he suspected them of having come into possession of the house by some criminal means. No one replied Gardar frowning, we bought the house from the estate of someone who died before he could renovate it. The captain tugged on the rope and then jumped up to join them on the pyre. I think I had better find out what's going on here. I know all the houses in the village and generally each of them has several owners, usually siblings or descendants of the previous inhabitants. I don't know of any house that could have belonged to one individual. He wiped his palms on his trousers. I cannot leave you here unless I can be certain that you have got some shelter and that you have not been fed a load of nonsense. He set off down the pyre. Point me to the house when we get to the top of the beach. We will be far enough there from the port for it's light not to blind our view. He strode off and they followed. Forced to take larger steps than they were used to in order to keep up with the man, who walked with a fast, loping gait that belied his short stature. Then he stopped as suddenly as he had started, and they barely avoided knocking into him. They had come to where Liv was sitting miserably. It looked to Catherine as if the color was returning to her cheeks. I think I have stopped vomiting. She tried to smile at them, smile at them without much success. I am frozen. When can we get inside, please? Soon. Kardar was usually curt but then obviously regretted it, since he added in a much gentler tone. Just try to bear a relief. He pushed Putty aside as the dog greeted their arrival by fawning over him. Irritated he brushed sand off his trouser leg. The skipper turned to Gardar. Where did you say the house was? Can you see it from here? Catherine Catherine positioned herself next to the man and watched as anxiously as the old captain. Although Gardar's description of the village was vivid in her mind's eye, it was difficult to reconcile it with what she saw now. The little cluster of ten houses and their accompanying storage sheds was more spread out than she had expected. And it struck her how much distance there was between them. She would have thought that in such an isolated community, people would have wanted to live closer together, to draw strength from each other. Each, sorry, to draw strength from each other in times of trouble or hardship. But what did she know? She actually had no idea how old the village was. Maybe the people there needed large gardens for keeping livestock or to plant vegetables. There could hardly be a shop there. Gardar finally spotted what he was looking for and pointed there furthest out on the other side of the stream. Of course you can only see the roof on the other side of the hill with the spruce trees which block the view a bit. He dropped his hand. You don't think a priest lived there? The old man clicked his tongue and stared up at the innocuous looking roof where it rose over the yellowed vegetation on the slope. I had forgotten that place, but no, it is not the priest's house. The cross on the door does not have anything to do with a priest. The person who lived there was a follower of the Heavenly Father and his son and thought it was a fitting tribute. He pondered for a moment and appeared to be about to say something, but stopped. For years the house has gone by the name of final sight. It is visible from the sea. The man looked as if he wanted to add something but again did not say anything. Final sight Okay, Gardar tried to look non-challenged but Catherine could see through him. One of the things he had found most attractive about the house was that it had once been inhabited by one of the most important figures in the village. I guess it would have been a lot to ask to have a rick tree in a place this size. Gadar looked over the houses, most of which were fully visible from where they were standing, unlike the partially hidden one they now owned. But were not there more houses here at one time? Some of them must have been torn down over the years. Yes, yes, quite right. The old man still had not turned back to face them and appeared distracted. There were more houses here, of course, there were never many people living here, but some took their houses with them when they left, only the foundations remain. Have you ever been in there, in our house? Catherine had the feeling that something odd was going on, but that the man could not express it for some reason. Is the roof about to collapse or something like that? She left the imagination to come up with anything else. Will it be safe for us in there? I have not been in there, but the roof is probably alright. The previous owners were quite enthusiastic at first about patching the place up. Everyone starts off well. Starts off? Gardar winked at Katrin conspirately and grinned. So it is high time someone got down to business and completed the repairs. The man ignored Gardar's attempt to lighten the mood. Instead, he turned away from the little cluster of houses. That could hardly be called a village and prepared to head back down to the pyre. I'm going to get something from the boat. Catherine and Gardar hesitated, taken aback, not knowing whether they should wait there for him or follow. Finally, they decided on the letter. Where are you going? You are not leaving me here alone. Liv scrambled to her feet. Catherine turned back toward her. We will be right back. You have been sitting there for over half an hour, so a few minutes more won't make a difference. Just rest. Before Liv had a chance to object, Catherine hurried to catch up with Kartar and the skipper. The skipper disappeared into the boat, then reappeared a moment later with an open plastic box containing various items she could not make out. From it, he pulled out a key ring holding an ordinary house key and another that was much more old fashioned and grand looking. Just to be sure, take these keys to the guest house in the doctor's residence. He pointed at one of the most respectable looking houses, clearly visible from the pyre. I will let the owners know I have loaned them to you. The woman who looks after it is my wife's sister. She will probably be glad to know that you have somewhere else to go if anything should come up. You don't need to worry about staying there, okay?" Something unspoken hovered in the air between Gardar and Katri. They had not told the men about their plans to create competition for the guest house to which they were being given the keys. Neither said anything. Catherine held out her hand and took the key ring. Thank you. You should also keep your phone batteries charged and don't hesitate to call if you have any trouble. In decent weather, I can make it here in under two hours, okay? That's very kind of you. Gardar put his arm around Catherine's shoulder. We are not quite as hopeless as we look, so I doubt it will come to that. It is nothing to do with you. The house does not have a great reputation and although I am not superstitious, I will feel better knowing that you have somewhere else to go and that you are aware you can call for help. The weather here can be dangerous sometimes, that's all. When neither of them responded, he wished them good luck and said goodbye. They muttered farewells in return and stood rooted to the spot, waving as the man steered the boat carefully off the pyre and sailed out into the facade. When they were alone, anxiety overwhelmed Ketteri. What did he mean by the house does not have a great reputation? Gardar shook his head slowly, no idea, I suspect he knows more about our plan than he was willing to admit. Did not he say his sister in law runs the guest house? He was just trying to scare us, I hope he does not start spreading rumors about the house. Catherine said nothing, she was sure Gardar was wrong, apart from Leaf, no one knew about their plans, neither she nor Gardar had discussed them with their families for fear of zincing the project. It was bad enough that their families pitied them because of Kartar's unemployment. Their relatives thought they were taking a trip out west for Catherine's winter holiday from school. No, the old man had not said what he did to secure them. There was something else behind it. Catherine sorely regretted not having pressed him for more details in order to prevent her imagination from running wild. The boat receded into the distance faster than she recalled it arriving and in an incredibly short amount of time appeared only as big as her fist. It is a quiet here. Gardar broke the silence that the boat had left behind. I don't think I have ever been in such an isolated place. He bent down and kissed Catherine's salty cheek. But the company here is good, that's for sure. Catherine smiled at him and asked whether he had forgotten their Lazarus leaf. She turned away from the sea, not wanting to, sorry, not wanting to see the boat disappear completely, and looked along the beach and up towards the land. Leaf was on her feet, waving at them frantically. Catherine raised her hand to wave back but dropped it when she saw something move quickly behind their white-clad friend. It was a pitch-black shadow, much darker than their dim surroundings. It disappeared as soon as it appeared, making it impossible for Catherine to distinguish what it was. But it looked like a person, a short one. She gripped Gardar's upper arm tightly. What was that? What? Gardar peered towards where Katrin was pointing. Do you mean leave? No, something moved behind her. Really? Gardar gave her a puzzled look. There is nothing there, just a seasick woman in a sky outfit. Was not it just a dog? Catherine tried to appear calm. It could well be that her eyes had deceived her, but it was not putty. She was certain of them. Oh, sorry, she was certain of that. He was standing in front of Leif, sniffing the air. Maybe the wind had blown some, something loose. But that did not explain how quickly it seemed to have gone by, although there could have been a sharp gust. She let go of Gardar's arm and focused on breathing calmly for what was left of the walk down the pyre, nor did she say anything after they had reached Liv. There was a rustling noise and a cracking in the dry yellowed vegetation behind them as if someone were walking through it. Neither Gardar nor Liv seemed to notice anything. But Catherine could not avoid the thought that they were not alone there in history. Thank you for joining me. I hope you like it.